you have your Bibles, you can turn over to Psalm 127. Although this took place 70 years ago, it bears repeating today. A very successful and wealthy mural artist by the name of J.H. Zorthian, and I'm reading this, read about a tiny boy who had been killed in, in a traffic accident. His stomach churned as he thought of that ever happening to one of his three children. His worry became inescapable anxiety. The more he imagined such a tragedy, the more fearful he became. His effectiveness as an artist was put on hold once he started running scared. At last, he surrendered to his obsession. Canceling his negotiations to purchase a large house in busy Pasadena, California, he began to seek a place where his children would be safe. His pursuit became so intense that he set aside all his work while scheming and planning every possible means to protect his children from harm. He tried to imagine the presence of danger in everything. The location of the residence was critical. It must be sizable and remote. So he bought 12 acres perched on a mountain at the end of a long, winding, narrow road. At each turn along the road, he posted signs, children at play. Before starting construction on the house itself, Zorthian personally built and fenced a play yard for his three children. He built it in such a way that it was impossible for a car to get within 50 feet of it. Next, the house. With meticulous care, he blended beauty and safety into the place. He put, in, he put into it various shades of the designs he had, con he had concentrated in the murals he had hanging in the 42 public buildings in, in, in eastern cities. Only this time, his objective was more than colorful art. Most of all, it had to be safe and secure. He made sure of that. Finally, the garage was to be built. Only one automobile ever drove into that garage, Zorthians. He, he stood back and surveyed every possi possible danger for his children. He could think of only one remaining hazard. He had to back out of the garage. He might, in some hurried moment, back over one of his children. He immediately made plans for a protected turnaround. The contractor returned and set the forms for that additional area. But before the cement could be poured, a downpour stopped the project. It was the first rainfall in many weeks of a long West Coast drought. If it had not rained that week, the concrete turnaround would have been completed and been in use by Sunday. Sunday, that was February 9th, 1947. The day is 18-month-old Tyron squirmed away from his sister's grasp and ran behind the car as Zorthian drove it from the garage. The child was killed instantly. It's a tragedy, isn't it? It's a tragedy that a, children, a child dies. But perhaps the greatest tragedy is a man who thought he could control it all himself. Listen to the words of Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, 
the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. For he grants sleep to those he loves. The psalmist. The psalmist is not against hard work. Do you understand that? So, so as, as we're reading through this passage, don't think, you know, think binders on a trail for pure laziness. <laughs> no, 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 no. That, that, it's, it's, it's assumed that everybody's working hard. That's not the issue. But is it possible for me to engage in projects, good projects, in a way that it all depends on me. We have college students here. We have high school students. Is it possible to do school in your own power? Is it possible to work wherever you work, whatever your employment is, as if it all depends on you? Is it possible to run our household as if it all depends upon you. I, I would say it is, folks. Now, in this passage, let, let me just explain the then before I come to the now. He says he speaks specifically about builders, watchers over a city, and laborers. In the ancient world, you had to build a house like you do in our day. But you always knew when you built that house that there's things in the environment around you. There's tornadoes, there's rain, there's all kinds of things that at the end of the day can never guarantee that that house will stand. And the psalmist, and what's interesting too, this particular psalm, we're, we're in the place in the Psalter. Several of these psalms are called Psalms of Ascent. And what that means is there was a host of psalms that the people were actually to quote and sing back to God on their way up to Jerusalem for one of the major feasts. And this was one of them. So can you see as they're coming up Jerusalem, they were supposed to say, I, I'm not going to sing it, that would be skit hour, okay? But, but they were supposed to say, unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. Because they realized that God was the God of the universe. In the ancient world, if you did not have a city with an enclosed wall, you had no security. And so they understood that. We don't do that in our cities. They did. And he, he goes on to say, look... You can put all the watchmen you want on the city, of, uh, city wall looking for people trying to come in and do whatever they're going to do. But at the end of the day, if God is not in it, it's worth nothing. You can get up at the crack of dawn. You can get up before the crack of dawn. You can work all day until the sun goes down and labor and give it your all. And 
and, and, and have tension and pain and anxiety and the whole thing. But he says, that's never the way God designed us to work. This passage, this passage asks us to engage in work, but to do it in this restful sense that God is God and he alone provides. Do you see that? Doesn't it strike you as strange that in these first two verses, when it's all about labor and building and pain, I mean, what comes to your image when I say work, labor, toil? I'm thinking pain, heavy, hard, right? Notice the word that surfaces at the end of verse 2. For he grants sleep or rest to those he loves. I mean, rest is not normally the first word I think of when I think of work, is it? But he wants us to engage in our work, whether that's at school or in the community or at home, whatever it is, wherever it is. He wants us to do it in such a way that we are able to rest in him and when I go to sleep at night, I don't have to sit around and say, I wonder about this and what's going to happen there and will she be okay when she does this? Look, I don't know. I got six kids and sometimes I just have, you know what I mean? Sometimes at night I start thinking about everything that can go wrong with them. You know? And, and you know, at some point you have to just kind of say, no, wait a second, Doug. If you're in control, you're not going to sleep tonight. The other option is to say, God, you take it. I'm going to work hard all day because you call me to be faithful by your strength. But you're God. And if anything's going to get built, if anything's going to be protected, if anything's going to get done, it will be because of you. And I'm going to bed. Do you see? God doesn't want us to live our lives like this. It's so, is it just me? Isn't it like, you know, I need something to help me unwind. (laughs) That's our culture. God says engage in a way that you're able to put all your weight on him. Leave that with him. And whatever you do, do it to your fullest. But rest in God in the process. And he will do all things well. That's not easy, folks. I, I, I stand, I read a passage like this, and I stand condemned. I, I, I get it. I get it. Matter of fact, I was working on this message, and I got up this morning, and I was thinking about a couple things, and I was thinking like, yeah, I'm going to need to do that, and make sure I do this to make that sure that doesn't happen. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God says, hello, Psalm 127. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, I, I, oh, it is my default mode to run and try to control it myself and get all worked up about it in the process. That's my default mode. And the psalmist says, as the people of God are coming up to Jerusalem to worship, people who say, it's all about Jehovah. You know what? Then live like it's all about Jehovah. Say, unless you build it, it will never get built. Unless you protect it, it will never be protected. I'm going to bed. Do you see? 
I was thinking about this psalm. And I was thinking about what we're embarking in as a church. There's advantages to renting a facility. You know that? There's, there's disadvantages too. But there's some advantages. So we're going to have to get this building built. And we don't know even exactly how long that whole process takes. You know regulations. It can drive you, New Jersey regulations in particular. You know, it can drive you crazy sometimes, right? So it's not our timetable. We have to make decisions what we're going to do with that building. And then once we get into it, we want to use it in the most effective way to the glory of God, don't we? We're not about the building. We're about the people. The building is merely a means to get people, see people transform, right? That's what it's all about. How easy would it be for us to hold that tight ourselves? Now, we've got to do our part. If we say, hey, we're, we're not going to do a thing, then that's presuming upon the grace of God. We can't do that. But as we engage, as we wrestle with ministry and what's the best way to use the building and the whole thing, folks, we need God through it all. Because at the end of the day, it is his work, not ours. When it comes to the building, we need to say, Lord, unless you build it, we who labor, labor in vain. When we minister using that building for the glory of God, it's in vain if we don't ultimately rest in you. And if we do, Lord, we can do our part and have a good night's sleep. Isn't that a great way to live? Individually and as a body. Jesus said in Matthew 6, I know how easy it is for you to worry. I call it intense concern. Jesus calls it worry, <laughs> right? And Jesus says, I know how hard it is for you to worry about the basic elements of life, what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat, where you're going to live. And Jesus says, you know what? You just prioritize me and let me be God. Trust me. It's an, it's an old message, but man, it's not easy to do, folks, is it? As the people of God. I love this psalm. Parts of me don't always like it because it's convicting. But it's so, it's freeing. God wants to free us as the people of God who trust in him as we faithfully serve and we realize it's his work at the end of the day. The tendency is to go it alone. You can never go it alone in your personal life, in your corporate life, whatever it is, you cannot go it alone. That's what he says in the first two verses. In the last three verses, I have to tell you, when I first read this psalm, I thought, I don't know how verses one and two and three to five fit together. So I, you know, I looked at commentary, which I greatly respect, and he didn't even talk about it. Kind of bugged me. So, so I've thought and brewed and thought and brewed and thought and brewed on this one. I think I understand the connection. Because 
Let me just read the next set of verses and then and, and, and ask you, like, how does that connect to the first two verses? This is what he says in verses 3 to 5. Listen. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. Now, honestly, on the surface, if the psalmist would have checked with me, I would have said, why don't you just write another psalm? Have one be Psalm 127, 1 and 2, and the next one be verses 3 to 5. Because it seems to me like you're dealing with two totally different topics. But the more I thought about it, I think there's something, there's a really important connection here. On the one hand, we are to rest in God alone as the ultimate provider. Right? But on the other hand, we are to rejoice with the relation. Let me say it and then explain it because I'm thinking like, look, here it is. We are to rejoice with the relational means that God gives to accomplish and to provide for us. In other words, remember I said you, you can never go it alone. You have to ultimately trust in God. I want to continue that theme and say, you can never go it alone because although God is the one who ultimately provides, what is the means through which he chooses to get his work done? He uses us, but he never uses us in isolation from others. We are relational through and through. And in this passage, what he's saying here, because you could read this passage and say, well, then it's all God and like whatever. Yeah, but the way God works is, in this passage is, he gives us children. In the ancient world, agricultural culture, they typically had a lot of kids. And you can see that, can't you? Children would die early. There was a lot of work in the field. There was always warfare. There was always challenges. I mean, the, the, the death rate was high. And he says, God in his grace never calls you to go it alone. You trust in me. But horizontally, you're never to go it alone either. You were called to have people around you, family, so that together, God says, I will support and provide for you through them. Do you see? Can you see how that begins to connect together? So all of a sudden, the psalm, which kind of to me seemed disjointed, I'm thinking like, that's a pretty cool picture. And what he says is this. In the ancient world, your children are like arrows. He talks about the, the gate. Often, legal issues would occur in the gate of the city. So Doug Finkbeiner goes up, and there's this other guy that's going to attack me for something he says I said or did or whatever. And Finkbeiner brings his six kids along. I got all kinds of witnesses. I mean, they're like arrows in my quiver. And when someone says, yeah, you can't try, hey, that's my dad you're talking about right there. I grew up with that guy. I love him. And, you know, I don't know what exactly the conversation sounded like. But the point is, my children, 
God says, I give you these children as arrows in your quiver. So ultimately, God will use them to support and protect you wherever you go. Why well, thought I'm supposed to trust in you? Ultimately, that's true. But this great God gives us people close to us, children, through which he provides that kind of protection. Does that make sense? Two applications. First one's direct, the second one's indirect. The direct one. I pray. Oh, I, I didn't read the next psalm. The next psalm is another really powerful psalm because it also, and, and it's another ascent psalm. So they, they would sing these as they go up. It also talks about family. It also talks about toiling for God out of trusting him. So there's a connection between Psalm 127 and 128. But in there, when it talks about family, it talks about family not only as a support for us, Psalm 127, people that God gives us out of his grace through which he protects and supports us. But also the family is this place of incredible joy and blessing. I hope and I pray that your family is that way. I know that's often not the case. But you know, God has given us family not only to support us, but it's just as a place to just to enjoy their presence. So he talks about in the next chapter, they're like olive branches. It's just, it's just, it's just like enjoying life because you're with them. My family is not perfect. God knows that for sure. <laughs> but I love to be with my family. The cons are going to this family reunion. We just had a family reunion where there was about 50, I don't know, 50 some of us together at a camp. And man, it was a hoot to be together. I mean, just talking. But, but just that time when I could just pull my kids together. Because you know, as your kids get older, it's so hard to get them all together. And so I get them together, I get teary-eyed, and they go, Dad, stop that. And I, I can't help it. I'm sorry, you know. I pull a Tim Huff, you know. But I just say, I just, I just love being with you guys. Oh, oh we love you too. Oh, you know. And it's just, it's good, isn't it? And, and can I give you one little funny illustration? I should, I'll, I'll do it real quick, and then and I'll move on. It's just, the Lord brought this to my mind. It's kind of funny. We went whitewater rafting down there in this family reunion in West Virginia, class five rapids. So it's kind of scary. You have to have a, a guide and not the whole thing. And, you know, they give you this lecture ahead of time. You know, don't jump. When you jump in the water, don't get your feet down because you get caught in a rock. It'll pitch under and you're dead. And, you know, oh, thank you. And, and make sure you swim where we tell you because there's these undercurrents that can take you underneath rocks. And, well, which way do you swim? We'll, we'll point then. Oh, okay, when we fall in, point, okay. You know, so they, they kind of give you this pep talk. You're like, ah, you know, where you hear the whole thing. But anyway, I've done it before, so it wasn't totally scary for me. But they stuck my kids, my wife and I, with a newbie this time. And because and, and I, the guy that was organizing it, he says, I'm going to stick you with this guy over here because he's a newbie because you guys have done it before. And he was a newbie. Um, but my son, Matthew, who had run that river for three summers, he knew it inside and out. So he took a raft behind us just by himself, a single raft. 
And any time there was a really dangerous current, a rapid, he would be right behind us. And this little ducky, you know, and he's not afraid of anything. And he said, man, Dad, that guy didn't hit the lines right at all, man. And it was obvious because one time, but by the grace of God, I mean, we were over. You know, it was, just, it was this huge six-foot wave, man. I'm over. My back's in the water. My foot's stuck underneath the thing, you know. You're supposed to stick your feet in this thing. My wife's on top of me because she's falling down. A raft is like this. I thought, well, okay, Lord, we're going in. I don't know. Something else we hit. I, we came up. We just, we stayed gone. But my son said, anytime we got on those rapids, I was right behind you, Dad, because I was going to protect you. That's kind of how it works, doesn't it? If you have elderly parents and you love them, you're there for them, aren't you? I mean, that's what, that's what we do. God, how do I live life when it comes to this whole idea of meeting responsibilities and work? Trust, rest in me above everything else as a God who's in control. Okay, okay, okay. And then embrace the means through which I work, these, these, these intimate familial relationships. Now here's my switch, my indirect application. In the New Testament, when Jesus' mom and brothers in Matthew chapter 12 were standing outside and, and Jesus was teaching to a group of his disciples, people said, your mom and your brother and your sister and your family is outside. Do you remember what Jesus said in response to that? My family are my people. And he'll go on to say, in a later passage, that if in following me, you lose father and mother and brother and sister and uncle and aunt and all those other kinds of relatives, I will give you far more in the body of Christ. Do you see? It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter if you're single, divorced, in a very difficult family relationship, you have a family. It's called the family of God. Do you see that? You were never meant to go alone. God says you need arrows in your quiver. You need people that will support and stand. You need to be with people who is just fun to be with, that love you. So when I read Psalm 127, I do think about my nuclear family. And I love my nuclear family. It's great stuff. But I can't help but not think about my spiritual family. Who I love. And the great burden that we have as a leadership team here. All the elders. When we get together and we pray and we talk about these things. We just... Look... The building is merely a building. Now, I know it costs money. I shouldn't say that because it's really important. I shouldn't. Okay. Okay. It's a building. It's a very important building, but it's a building. The church is the people. We are the church. And whatever happens to a building, we continue. But do you understand if we're going to live life in a way that honors God, 
we have got to, at the end of the day, whatever we do as a church, whatever we do in our homes, whatever we do anywhere, God, it's you. I must trust you. You are the only one that can provide and protect. Only you. And yet, you choose to use family to accomplish those things. What happens when you don't utilize the means that a gracious God gives you don't experience what a gracious God wants. Do you see? So this psalm has our names written all over it. I don't care if you're married or single. You are part of the family of God. God says, don't go it alone. Rest in me. Don't go it alone. Engage in those relationships that I have given you. Through those relationships, you will find my joy, my presence, my strength, and my wisdom. To not use it would be a terrible thing. So I encourage you, go back and read Psalm 127 again. I'll keep reading. 128 is a really good one too. But they're all about at the end of the day. Don't go it alone. Rest in him. Don't go it alone. Utilize those relationships that God has given you. Folks, if we do that as a church, I, what's that mean? That means, that's, that was good. That was a good Wow. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Really, wow. That's all I can say, wow. Let's watch what God does. Let's pray.